this and going live on this. And we are back on Bucks and Brews. Um, it's, we're getting better at this, Nick. It's only been a week. <laughs> we did nail it this time. We did nail it this time. So, you know, if you haven't been listening lately, you know, the summer was tough for us. I tried to die and Nick uh, tried to die. Yeah. <laughs> Other things. Other things, yeah. So so we are actually back on a regular schedule again, which makes us very happy. Uh, we're joined tonight by Marvin Storm. Marvin uh, is an entrepreneur, which we love entrepreneurs. We do. And he's going to talk to us about selling your businesses and hopefully getting a lot of money for it because, I mean, that's kind of why we do what we do. Yeah. We want money. Figure um, out the value. So tonight, Nick, I'm I'm partaking in pumpkin dude you are like the pumpkin king i, I am pumpkin king tonight i have new holland's ichabod pumpkin ale i have atwater's pumpkin spice latte which i can't wait to try i've not had this one and then uh if i'm feeling really excited i got a pigeon hill donut stop believing say <laughs> journey it up brother you better believe um it. you know tonight I, of course, I stop at the gas station. That's where I pick up my stuff because I don't have time to go to the, the real stores. You're going to love this because it's discount day. I love um, discount day. I got Founders Solid Gold, um, which is, you know, it's, it's a generic. I've got much right? for, for those light lagers, but yeah. that's pretty good. And then uh, my like one of my favorite beers, just like on a, on a regular drinking basis, um, Dirty Bastard from Founders. Yeah. So when I say it's discount day, uh, so this is originally $11 for a six pack. And I got the discount of two for 15. So, of course, you got to buy two of them, right? Of course you it's, do. it's written right there. So, well, founders right down the road. Yeah, yeah. Right. We, we, wouldn't be a, we wouldn't be a financial podcast if we didn't teach people to save money in their beer. We definitely would not. So, we, so we did say uh, Marvin Storm's here. You know, we're, we're actually really excited uh, being the entrepreneur. Um, Marvin, why don't you walk us through, I guess, where you come from and a little bit more towards where you are now. Oh, great. That's uh, really great to be here. And I love the banter at the beginning there. I mean, it is absolutely critical that you learn how to save money on beer. You know, that is absolutely the foundational component of a good financial plan. Jeez, so I, I'm glad that you're, I, I'm, I'm glad you're sharing those pearls of wisdom. No, I, uh, I, I grew up in an entrepreneur family. Uh, I come from the Midwest, a little town in South Dakota. When I grew up, it was about 3,000 to maybe 3,500 people. I grew up, so it was kind of an Opie Taylor type of environment. Uh, when I grew up, uh, I literally had my fishing pole and and went down when I was seven, eight years old and went to the fishing hole and uh, you know caught fish and dragged them home and skinned them and gutted them and uh, you know had had our trout you know, at the end of the day. So it was it was a great. My my father was an entrepreneur. Uh, had his own business. Uh, he was a mechanic. He had his shop, had three or four people working for him. And so I saw the ups and downs of uh, the entrepreneurial lifestyle uh, when things were going well and when things got a little dicey and uh, he would be working, you know, 12, 14 hours a day. And my, my mom kept the books and had her own job. She did the books at night and on weekends. And so I saw what it was to work hard as an entrepreneur. And my dad, you know, kind of wanted me to have a life a little bit better than his. He didn't want me to follow in his footsteps. And so I did. I went and got an education, got my degree in accounting and went to work for a large accounting firm, national firm. And uh, after a couple of years there, I uh, 
every Tuesday night, I played pickup basketball and uh, bumped into a guy there that was kind of a similar mindset. And we got to chatting. And before we knew it, uh, we were turning in our resignations and launching a business. And uh, we, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area and I lived in the East Bay of, across the bridge from San Francisco. And we got a 300 square foot of office in downtown Oakland on the 13th floor and and uh, two desks and a phone, and we were in business. And uh, we had some uh, interesting and very thin times as far as cash flow. And had a starting a family at the time. And um, so uh, all the all the entrepreneurs out there, business owners, know what you have to go through to you know work hard and build the business to get a little momentum and lift under the wings. And uh, you know I had those experiences too. Had a great run uh, for about 10 years with my partner. And as often happens, uh, our life goals changed and uh, I wanted to go left. He wanted to go right. And so we met in a local park and shook hands and we decided to wind the business down, sell it and uh, move on to other things. And I started a few other ventures and had success, you know, one unsuccessful exit and a couple of good exits. And, and then I, uh, ended up acquiring a, a national firm in a turnaround situation. And that's what I, a few years ago, I uh, exited from that business and thought, you know, now's the good, you know, what every, everyone dreams of is taking it easy. And so I pulled up stakes in the Bay Area and moved up to the mountains uh, on the way to Lake Tahoe and the Sierra foothills. And that's where I am now. And um, thought that would be great, you know, just take it easy. And uh yeah, You know, I, I guess that's the dream. But in reality, once you've had the pedal to the metal for years and decades, and when you're in the slow lane or coasting and maybe even parked on the side of the road, it gets boring fairly quickly. And so yeah. I just got to thinking a little bit about uh, all the decades of experience I had and, and my last exit or two and, and thought, you know, um, if I'd have just been a little bit more dialed in on what I should be doing, because you don't get, you know, you know, entrepreneurs that have a, a business to become really good at what they do, and because they do it every day. Uh, but when it comes time to sell or exit your business and head for the door, and uh, you only do that maybe two, three times in your whole life, if that many. And so you don't get really good at it. And uh, so I thought, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that uh, were like me that needed a little bit more insight. And so I started a podcast called Business Exit Stories, where I interview the deal makers, uh, you know, M&A advisors, business brokers, CPAs, attorneys, you know, that are involved in the deal flow. And they share their war stories, the good, bad, and some really ugly transactional stories that they've been involved in and some of the takeaways from uh, the good and the bad and uh, why the great exits turned out the way they did and some that didn't go so well what were the reasons behind those and so it's been a fascinating ride for me the last few years and i've just uh, really enjoyed uh, helping you know those entrepreneurs that spend sometimes a decade maybe two maybe a lifetime building up their business and and um, and then dropping the baton on the last lap that's that's what's really sad yeah um, so a couple things real quick. You said you come from a town of like 3,500 and your, and your father had four or five employees. Like that's, that's yeah. a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of cars as a mechanic for 3,500 people. I mean, yeah. Was, was... He had several people working for him and, 
you know, uh, I, I would go out to the shop and in the summer when I was a kid and I'd wash parts and sweep the floor and, sure. and, uh, you know, help <laughs> try not to get too much in the way to help out a little bit. And, sure. and, and I, I just saw what, what it took and how hard he worked. And so I had no illusions that sure. uh, the so entrepreneurial life can be challenging. The business that you, so you were in South Dakota and I guess what brought you to California? I mean, you, you, you were, playing basketball in South Dakota, then you and your partner said, Hey, our best base is California or. No, no. I, I, I graduated and got my first job in Chicago uh, with the national firm, downtown Chicago. And, and uh, my, I, in school, I met a, a young lady and became my wife and she was a Californian. And after, after uh, some time in Chicago and the cold windy winters, uh, she said, uh, we had an opportunity to buy some, a home and some property in California. So she said, uh, you can stay here, but I'm headed to California. So we packed our covered U-Haul and moved, moved West. And that's how we ended up in California in the Bay area. And, and we were there for the good part of my career, uh, okay. you know, 30 plus years. So, and what business, I guess, did you open up? You open up a CPA or, um, no, no, I, um, it was actually an equipment leasing company. Um, right. And during uh, some of the tax work I did in the accounting world involved, uh, you know, tax planning and, uh, and equipment leasing at the time had some uh, attractive tax benefits. If you could structure the leases up properly and syndicate those leases. And, and uh, so we opened up shop and, you know, uh, doing that type of, of thing. And, but, you know, the world changes, tax laws change. And, uh, our, you know, it became very challenging after a while, uh, because of how the tax laws modified our business and we were forced to change how we did things. Uh, it just became too hard to, to make a living doing that. So we, um, you know, pivoted and moved on. So sure. it's just like entrepreneurs do, they're, they're agile, you know, when one thing, one door closes, you go to the next one, you know? Sure. And so then what did you, what did you, you opened a couple more businesses after that, what types the same types of businesses or what do we? No, I, uh, I had done some equipment leasing for some uh, franchise based businesses and I got kind of intrigued with the franchise model. And um, so I uh, opened up a, a, you know, bought into a franchise that was in the logistics and packaging and shipping environment and uh, ended up having uh, seven or eight locations in the Bay Area and then uh, became a, a regional franchisee for that company and you know, opened up about 40 of those locations in, throughout Northern California. And, um, you know, after that, I acquired another group of franchises and then another another company franchises. And I had actually four different franchise concepts and built up a kind of a regional franchise management company and uh, opportunity have... came along an opportunity came along to buy the, uh, a franchise company that was nationally based. And so I uh, took that project on and uh, and I spent a number of years doing that. And that was the company that I exited a few years ago. Okay. Um, I will say, I would never move to California. Mostly because I don't want to be closer to my father. But <laughs> say, if I did, it would be the Bay Area. Is that, is that San Diego? No. 
because that's where the only place I'd go. San Francisco, Oakland. I, as long as it's San like, Diego sounds. I hear it's like seventy something degrees year all year round. Like you get like a day of rain, maybe. I, I will and, agree with your wife. And that the winters up here are horrible. Yeah, say so we're in Michigan. Uh, I mean, it's not as bad as South Dakota. At least we have things to do here in Michigan. <laughs> so we, uh, my wife and I, visited well, I, I, I come from the part of South Dakota where there actually are things to do in the in the Black Hills area, and that's where oh, the that's where you went. That's where I went. That's where, <laughs> that's where Sturgis Sturgis is, and the yeah. seven hundred thousand people that show up every year, or five seven hundred thousand show up every year with sure. their motorcycles. So. Once a once a once a year, but like I need like I need interaction like every every two seconds. I mean, I you know I I don't. You and I are big city guys. I kind of am. Like yeah. I mean, I wish I could tell you I'd like we're to go big guys and we're big city guys hunting fish. But you know, I mean, I love honestly. The only way I love to fish is just it's an excuse to have beer in my. You know, that's my, why you fish. Is my, right, like it's the only reason. Like I don't even need bait. I don't bring bait when I fish. Like if DNR pulls me over, they're like, hey, you know, I was like, I don't even have a line out. Like, I'm just, here it is, right? So, um, so tell us, tell us now. So you take, you take the business, you and your partner split and you realize that exiting is, is a good key. So you want out of being an entrepreneur. So one of the things that's kind of happening in my life and I'll, I'll kind of walk you through it. So I, I'm an entrepreneur. I own some real estate. Um, I, I started a graphics company like everybody else in the world, right? Make t-shirts. Um, I'm a magician, so I can make things disappear. I, I did that kind of business. Um, You've done a lot of things. I've done a lot of businesses, right? So, um, you know, I I can't say like my business that I've sold, right? Because I never, I never sell my businesses. I either just kind of like dwindle them down and they just sit around and because I've already, I've already made my money in it, right? Like I could have made money selling it, but I just don't. Um, but in the real estate, you know, I'm, I'm kind of gear. I'm still in that grind mode, right? Like picking up more, picking up more, but I have a mentor that at one point owned, you know, a substantial amount of units, you know, above 500 by himself. Right. Um, and actually we, we just sat to lunch today and he has, you know, five buildings left to get rid of. And he's, you know, one of his big concerns is, what am I going to do when I'm done? Right. Like I'm just going to retire. And like, he, he's so used to that daily grind, you know, when you have that lifestyle of you're doing something every day, um, I guess, walk us through kind of what, what it looks like to, to start slowing down and what things we should look at when we're looking to sell a business and why we should look to sell a business. Well, that's um, the, you know, kind of the, the big question, you know, you know, you, a business can provide a lifestyle. It can provide uh, income and cash flow to fund what you like to do and take care of the family and take, you know, have a little extra over to buy real estate or invest outside of the business or, you know, just have whatever you want if you can invest wisely. And, uh, but, you know, that core business that you spend all this time, you know, years and decades building. Uh, there's value there. And the issue generally is, is that there is a process to follow. Like in real estate, if you do the right things in real estate, you leverage the real estate properly, you don't get overextended. You, If it's rental property, uh, either residential or commercial, and you find the right tenants and you structure the leases right, and, and you do all of these core things in the real estate business, uh, over time, you build equity and you can sell that property. 
But if you don't do the right things, and a lot of real estate uh, you know, professionals and investors will tell you, uh, it can be a hard business and you can end up at the end of the day with very little because of the mistakes that you made along the way. But, and in real estate, there are principles, there are things that you need to do to be successful. And when you're running a business, in order to monetize everything that you've worked all this time, if you do the right things along the way, when you get to the end of the road and you want to sell that business, you'll have value there to sell. You will have something that somebody else wants. Either it will fund their lifestyle or they'll maybe be able to take it to the next level because their skill set's a little different. Uh, And if you position the business for a specific type of buyer, uh, you may be surprised how much you can value you can extract out of the business. The problem is no one starts thinking 10 years, 15, 20 years down the road. They're so busy grinding it away. And the business, like you said, is they don't have time or don't take the time, I should say, to think a little bit about some of those things they could do in advance uh, to create the value uh, so when you exit their business. Uh, I know I've been down that road. Uh, I've been so tied up and consumed in my business. I wasn't thinking about five or 10 years down the road. Uh, It was only later after I'd had a couple of exits that I said, you know, if I'd have done things a little bit differently, uh, and I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to do things differently this time around. Uh, And that's uh, a little bit about why after after my last exit, I said, you know, I, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have anyone that I could learn about the process And so that's what the podcast is all about. That's what I enjoy doing now uh, is, you know, providing that insight to people that uh, at some point in time, they're going to exit because only there's only three things that can happen to a business. One, you're going to pass it on to a family member, uh, an employee, uh, a partner, and someone inside of the business. Uh, You're going to sell it to a third party, someone you don't know. Or you're going to voluntarily or involuntarily exit the business. Uh, you'll be pushed out in a bankruptcy, or you'll voluntarily wind it down and just liquidate it and close it down and and move on and say it was a great run. And um, those are the only three things that can happen. Sure. And if those if those are the three things, pick out which one that may be the best fit in your specific situation, and then plan for it. And uh, there is a mythology in the planning. Okay. You know, being that my wife owns a business, she's been asked several times what it would take to buy her out. Yeah. Her number is way lower than mine. It's because you see so much different potential, right? I do. Growth aspects, yeah. I mean, when when I look at the business we have here, I I know that, you know, within five years, we'll be turning out seven, eight hundred thousand a year at least. Sure. Whereas she's going, you know, if somebody paid me five right now, I'm out. And to me, that it's just short-sighted. So I, I guess the question, Marvin, is when do you know it's a good time just to say, all right, I got what I need from this. Let's go do the next thing. Well, that's, that's a question that is really defined by what you want to do. 
if like you said, in describing your situation there with your wife and the business that she's running five years down the road or seven or whatever that you know time window is, uh, you put a stake in the sand and you say, you know, it can either be metrics driven by the sales volume or the profitability, or it could be lifestyle driven. You know, I'm going to get to be 40 or 50 or 65 or whenever that number is, and that's the stake in the sand. Uh, you plan for that. And then there are certain things, like if you're talking about your wife and the type of business that she has, you know, you, you start looking at what type of buyer would be interested in my business. Is it a buyer that's going to step in and be there every day and work in the business? Or is it going to be a buyer that wants to manage the business? And if it's the buyer that wants to manage the business, you do different things in positioning that business for sale than you would if you're looking to sell it to someone that's going to operate the business. If you have a highly technical business that requires a lot of skill, like a machinist or something like that, that, that takes years and sometimes a decade or two to learn the refining of those skills, then you're looking for someone with that skill set that can work in the business. If it's a business that can be managed and you can hire the machinist and your business will support you know, hiring of additional people, uh, then you're looking for a different type of buyer and you have to do different types of things to attract that type of buyer. If you don't, the buyers aren't going to be interested or if they are interested, they won't pay you what it's worth because you haven't done the right things. It's like, I'll use a very simple example of a car. If you maintain the car and you keep your uh, service records and repair records and uh, you maintain it and it looks good and, uh, you know, it's going to be worth, you know, a lot more than if you don't have anything and it's kind of beat up and you haven't taken care of it, uh, it's going to be worth a different amount of money. Now, that's a very simple example, but a business is no different. If the business has good financial records and has a good reputation and all those things that are important to a buyer, then it's going to be worth more than if you didn't pay attention to those things. And you just didn't worry too much about financial statements or reconciling the bank statements or taking care of making sure your taxes are filed and you got delinquent taxes and all of those things, uh, it's not going to be very attractive to a buyer. And if it is, he won't pay a lot for it. Well, I guess the same can be said for, you know, what you do with a house. Yeah. I mean, so absolutely. I mean, you know, well, you know, that's probably, a, a that's duplex. probably a better example, better example. Yeah. You know, like a, a duplex. So like a single families can go to, uh, you know, a, a potential, it could go to the tenant who wants to live there forever type thing where a duplex, Hey, you know, like the other side's being rented, you know, um, you know, my exits are, and I, I do, I think about my exits because, you know, I theoretically am, was, is want to be retired. I don't know how to describe it. Right. Like, you know, all, you're, you're all the, I know you're is the working retired. Right. Like all I know is I just got told you, you just sit around and drink now, just go do something. Um, you know, I say I, I hit financial independence way too young for my wife's liking. <laughs> say for my liking, I was, you know, I was ecstatic. Um, but well, I, I think too, and Marvin, correct me if I'm wrong. When you, when you're doing something daily and you're working really hard at it and you decide, okay, I'm going to switch gears here and kind of do nothing. You get bored really fast. 
So you got to do That's something. exactly what happened to me. That's exactly what happened <laughs> I mean, to me. I made it two weeks playing video I, games, and then I was like, I was done, dude. Yeah, you were nuts. I, was, I, was I mean, you can only play so many rounds of golf. I played today. Don't tell anybody. I haven't played since I played with you last year. Oh, I did so. My front nine. Marvin, do you golf? I golf at it. Yeah, I have grandkids that I take golfing, and they're <sighs> very quickly going to be able to beat me, so. So we, I, we love to golf. I'm not very good. I, I went like par bogey. I'm a like I'm a bogey golfer, right? Like I'm horrible. I'm like I, a triple bogey. Yeah, and I, I, I like I'm plus two through four, and, and you're then excited. I stopped to go to the restroom, and then I hit an eleven, a ten, and I was like. And like I go like eight, you know. I was just like, this, well, this we is we would have a good time ridiculous. golfing together. Like I, I, and I, like I didn't That's even. My kind I, of didn't, I drank one beer, and that was before okay. I even started. Like I was just like, this is this is no fun now. I'm, I'm done. If you would have had a couple more, you would have golfed. Really I would have well. golfed like a king. But if I have two beers, I golf great because yeah. I don't care. I, you know, I, well, and that's the thing. I was sitting there, and I was like, I, I don't care. And like, we like, oh man, this doesn't bother you. And I was like. I could be working or doing yeah. like, you know what other people are doing right now while I'm here doing this. I was working. Right. Like I, I start, I don't compare myself to others, but I sit here and just go, shit, my life way worse right you now. Compare yourself <laughs> like, to others, but you compare yourself to others. Right. Like, I'm like, oh man. So, um, you know, when now you were, you own some logistics companies then. So like, so I used to be in logistics, uh, I, I was, let's call it a lumper, right? They got paid. <laughs> so, um, but I have, I have a few friends that own a few uh, logistics companies. So, um, you know, they, they, they manage the trucks, they do all the, that aspect of things and they have their people. So um, now is that, is that what you were in for quite a while then? Yeah, we, we had a specialty uh, that kind of differentiated what we did is that we moved, uh, you know, valuable, large, fragile items around the, uh, the country that were one-off type of items, not truckloads of uh, commodity-oriented products. Sure. Uh, which is, you know, the, it was a sort of LTL shipping where you had yep. less than a truckload and, it, you, you know, you may have, a, you know, my most unique type of shipment that I handled was, you know, nearly $10 million of art in, uh, out of an estate um there's art worth 10 the, million bucks dude art well, there were 30 there dumb. were 32 32 pieces worth that much and uh i think the most valuable piece was like two and a half three million dollars and when you're shipping that type of value uh you have to be extraordinarily careful how it's packed because it has to be temperature controlled and regulated and um you know, that's original art, that's one of a kind piece. And we had to get special insurance, you know, Lloyd's of London insurance to, to ship it and move it around. And it had, sure. to, it had to be packed in a truck uh, and we sealed the truck uh, with a, a seal. And it was, the seal was broken at Sotheby's in downtown New York, uh, where it went to auction. Sure. And so, you know, it was, it was those type of one-off kind of unique shipment uh, that we built our business around. So that, that, that was a little different than the traditional logistics, which is commodity based and sure. full truckload shipping. Sure. I, uh, one of the, one of my companies that I, I'm friends with, they got to ship Jeff Dunham's dummies. 
or uh, yeah, ventriloquist. So that was really cool. And I was like, man, really just want to look at <laughs> say, but you know, they like you basically have to sign like an NDA, right? Like this states like you you won't talk about it until it's done completely. Like it's crazy. So I, I assume you had to you had to do a lot of that. Um, now when now I guess so you said your partners were in different or you and your partner had different mindsets and where you wanted to be. Uh, were no, you looking over time, you know, your, your lives go in different directions. Yeah, of course. So that's just what happened to us. Did you want to keep, did, did one of you want to keep going and one of you want out or like, I guess, can you walk us through a little bit of how that kind of worked? Well, you know, our, our life situation changed on and lifestyle kind of the, the, the work ethic, you know, what he wanted to do, uh, and how hard he wanted to work. He was older than I was. Oh, uh, sure. And uh, so we we're a little bit different point in our life. And plus the business had changed a lot. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, and so we just, we just decided that we wanted to go different directions on how we wanted to take the business. And so that's what we did. We, it was an amicable settlement. We're still friends today. Sure. Um, but, you know, times business changes and you, you just decide. And sometimes those changes are kind of acrimonious and can be real tough and difficult. Yeah. But we we just uh, decided, you know, who was going to take what out of the business and uh, just shook hands on it. And, it was, you know, we just uh, did it over a park bench in, in a local park in Oakland, California. Good for you. Yeah, Let's friends of mine, you. friends of mine, uh, everybody's my friend, but uh, I say they, they owned a pest company, both older gentlemen, right? And one of them was like, I'm just, I'm done. Right. And Kelly, you know, my, he's like, I think I still kind of want to keep working. He's like, I need to cash out. And, and he's like, yeah, I just want to work for somebody, but like kind of on my time. And so then they ended up selling to a company that took it over. And, you know, now Kelly still works for the other guy and just when he wants to on his time and other one's just living retirement and having a good time. You know, I say we went golfing not too long back. <laughs> You know, people ask me all the time when I'm quitting because yeah. my wife's business is taken off. Yeah. And my answer is I work from home. Never. And I'm fine. Yeah. As long as, you know, I don't have a boss that irritates me. I'm, I'm great. I'll keep working from home and I got no issues. Yeah. That's why I became my own boss. So that way nobody can irritate me but myself. I'm kind of a dick to myself. <laughs> So we are both kind of an acquired taste. That's a fact. Um, we uh, say we're, we're looking. Does, do you think that every business should get sold? Or do you think? I think most every business should be sold. Uh, the problem is, is they don't get sold. In fact, there's an interesting statistic out there that most people never hear about uh, is that nearly over 80% of businesses that are started. Now this is large, the small, you know, home-based businesses, of, uh, but the whole universe of businesses out there, 80% don't get sold. Uh, and they should get sold. You know, if, if there were some basic things done, and I'll go back to your real estate example, every property generally can get sold. Uh, it's worth something to somebody. 
Yeah. If you do certain things and maintaining that property and improving and enhancing the property, even those those enhancements may be cosmetic to some people, uh, you can dramatically increase the value of what that property is worth to a certain type of buyer. And it's the same thing with businesses. Uh, the problem is no one plans far enough ahead uh, to create the value that someone would see in the business when it comes time for that person to exit. The real issue is, is that most exits, most people sell a business because it's event-driven. Something happens. You got sick, somebody in the family died, and a key employee left, you're burned out, uh, competition, technology change. There, there's an event that someone says, oh, oh, I think I better sell. And then it's a race to the exits to sell the business. It's like a fire drill. And uh, when, when everyone in the theater is running at the exits at the same time, when there's a downturn in the economy, uh, those exits don't do well. You know, uh, some of them don't happen at all and they end up just closing. However, I can say, I'll go back to your real estate example again, not to be redundant, but if you've maintained the property well, even if there's a downturn, that property maintains and has more value than someone that didn't. And when it comes to the business, it's exactly the same thing. The problem is people don't take it seriously. Things are going well, and they think they're always going to go well. Or the entrepreneurial mindset is, is that I'll figure it out. You know, I've always been able to overcome obstacles and challenges when it comes time to sell. I'll just figure it out. That's, and that's my that biggest. The, optim the optimism of the glass is always going to be half full. Statistics don't bear that out. <laughs> Data doesn't, doesn't bear that out. To say as an entrepreneur yourself, you know, that that's, those are our favorite words. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> say that's just it. Like, well, the, the, the issue is in your day-to-day -day business, you have time to figure it out and you generally do. And that's what makes entrepreneurs successful because they do figure it out. But when it comes to exits, the time window that you have a lot of times isn't enough time to figure it out and things go south for it can go south very quickly and bad things happen when you aren't prepared. Now, so this, this brings me to a great point. How do you know when it's time? So like, for example, uh, my wife's business has been open just over two years, and I decided in June to try and die. So she was in the hospital with me basically every day for two weeks and had to trust other people to run the business. So, you know, let's let's pretend for a minute this was a 10-year-old business at that point. Uh -huh. How do you know it's time to get out before you run into an issue like that? Well, those are, that's exactly what I was talking about is that an exit can be event driven. Your wife got sick and if she couldn't, if, or you got sick and your wife was, you know, away from the business, uh, you know, if you hadn't gotten better and your wife had to not be able to return to the business, that's an event driven business. Now, if she had done nothing to prepare the business, you know, hadn't kept up on her accounting and their taxes and all the things that you do to run uh, and manage a business optimally. Uh, if you're prepared for that, in fact, I'm writing a book 
that's called pack your parachute. And that's based on the metaphor that a pilot doesn't pack his parachute when the engines are on fire. He has the parachute packed and he grabs it and jumps. Now he may be flying his plane and up for a skydiving and it's that's voluntarily. And so he knows that when he jumps from the plane, he's gonna, the parachute's gonna open and he's gonna have a nice enjoyable ride uh, to the ground. Uh, but if the engines are on fire and he jumps involuntarily, uh, he's ready to jump. And so the question you ask is, when is you ready? Well, you may not know when you're going to be ready. So the point is, is that you have to operate your business like you're going to sell it next year. And if you always have your business positioned like mm -hmm. that and something mm -hmm. triggers the necessity to exit, then you grab your parachute and you're ready to go. You don't try to pack it when, you know, you're in a hospital sick or you're managing a, 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 an illness or something like that and you just can't focus on it, uh, things don't turn out as well as you would hope in those type of situations. So my, my next question, I guess, would be, uh, what do you feel about people who grow businesses just to sell them? I think they're smart. <laughs> really? I say that's no, I say that's great because like I, I I watch like Gary Vaynerchuk. Do you know who he is by chance? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So like he talks about that and he's like, he's like, if you grow your business to sell, you're not going to grow it to its potential because you're so focused on just getting that amount of money to sell it. Well, I'll I'll, versus... I'll, I'll take the other side of that coin and say that I understand that. Sure. Uh, however, your business, if, if you grow a business to sell it and you bring it to, let's say on a scale of one to 10, 10 would be as big as you ever thought you could grow it. Now, just pick a number, $10 million. Sure. You, you're, you, you, that's your goal to get to $10 million. If you grow the business to $10 million and there's really no more growth available in the market you're in or the type of product you're selling, you've, you've grown it to $10 million and that's it. Well, that's not gonna be worth a lot to uh, a buyer because he looks at it and says, well, you know, there's really no more business there to get. You've gotten 80 or 90% of the business, but if you grow it to 50% and there's 50% more to go, well, a strategic buyer will look at that business and say, well, I want to buy that business because I can take it and grow it even more. And then what you exit at that point in time and you start your next thing and you grow that business and you grow it to a point where there is a lot of opportunity for a buyer coming in. And if you do it right and you can target the type of buyer or who should be buying your business, uh, they will pay up a lot more of a multiple on revenue or profitability than you might imagine because a buyer looks at the business and says, okay, it's a buy or build type of decision for a buyer. They look at your business and say, well, we could do the same thing. If we in, we're going to pay $2 million for this business, so we have a decision to make. Shall we invest the $2 million and do it ourselves. But that's gonna take three or four years for us to do that. Sure. Well, the market will change. Well, it's better just to write the $2 million check or maybe two and a half million dollar check to buy that business because they, you don't have the luxury of time because your competitors are moving faster than you are and you need that business 
to keep a competitive edge against your competitors. So you will pay up and pay more than the business is actually worth from a financial point of view, because it's important to that buyer. So that comes right back to my point a little bit earlier. You just sort of have to know uh, who your buyer is going to be and be prepared for that buyer. So when they come and take a look at the business, everything that they want to see is already there. You've anticipated. Just like I'll go back to the real estate example. You know, if an investor, a real estate investor is going to look at your business, he's going to want to see your cash flow mm -hmm. statements. He's going to want to mm -hmm. see your maintenance records. Mm -hmm. He's going to want to see your tenants and the type of tenants that you have sure. and your leases. Those are the type of things that he's going to want to see. So if you anticipate that and you have all that lined up and you've managed that properly, your business is more attractive than somebody with the same type of property or similar type of property that doesn't have all that information. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when I was younger, uh, I used to be in a disc golf a little bit and uh, a friend of mine and I started a business. We were dying disc uh, custom made and then we would dye socks and t-shirts uh, tie dye. Right. Um, and we didn't, we, we did it for fun. We didn't really do it to, to sell the business in any way, had no intention. Um, a little bit in, right, we started getting our kind of name a little bit out there, and we had a very large company reach out to us and say, hey, we want to buy your business. And we're like, what? We, you know, we thought it was a joke. You guys like, hey, I'll fly in. We'll meet. We'll do this. And I'll throw you an offer. And I was like, I mean, dude, well, hey, we're, we're broke as crap, you know I mean? And we're like, hey, we'll, we'll take a free dinner. <laughs> so, Welcome to, you know, I mean, they ended up paying us substantial, way more than we had thought, right? I think at the time we probably would have gotten rid of the business for, you know, 12 bucks in a, in a case of Bud Light. And, uh, you know, we ended up getting substantially more than that. So, so I, uh, I, I'm curious, why did they want to buy your business? What, why was it important for them? Why did they reach out to you? Uh, because they reached out to us because of how quick we were growing with exactly what we were doing. Right. So um, our designs, our designs were one of a kinds. Um, basically, they didn't want the competition at this point. Um, they also wanted to bring they offered us positions to do it in house for them. Um, and they were so, you know, because they were they were already, I guess, up there getting to. Going out that they could see the next person coming up saying, hey, this has potential to do something. See, there's a case study. My in my book, that's an ex a, a case study on mm -hmm. what a business can be worth. More, it was more valuable to them than it was to you because they could see because they are evaluating different types of things. They're looking at their competition. They're looking at what you do. They're looking at how fast you're growing. Yeah, and you're not even considering all that stuff. We had no idea. And, we were so young. <laughs> and so you inadvertently, you know, just by working hard and being creative, created a valuable asset to somebody else. Now, if you take that same concept and you actually plan for that type of event, you're a little bit smarter in the next business that you do. You plan for that type of event. So you do things differently to make that business attractive to others down the road. So all I'm saying sure. is that it doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot more work to think about building a business to sell uh, because then you know why you're doing it and the type of things that need to be done to make it attractive to somebody else. Sure. That's, all, that's all it is. 
you know, I say when I told you I, I had the t-shirt company and uh, I had somebody reach out to me and they said, Hey, I'll, I'll buy your business or whatever. And then, you know, I, I quickly threw a number out. So I was like, Hey, this is what it's going to take. And they're like, I can go buy all the products. And I was like, you're, you're not buying just what I do, right? Like you're not buying the, the, the materials, the, the machines and stuff. Like you're, you're getting my clientele, which took me so long to build up, right? Like you will get names, addresses. You have to go build that relationship. And if, if you keep it, that's on you, but if not, oh, well, like, um, you know, so I, I didn't end up selling it. Um, it. It wasn't my priority. And to me, it's always really hard, I guess, to, to be able to give up that information because I built that relationship with those people so much um, that it's just hard to like, Hey, give it out. Right. And just go here. Now, now you do this for them. Right. So, um, you know, I, I had a, I had a couple contracts, one with, uh, uh, you know, a, a fun, a fun gentleman's club. Uh, <laughs> so, um, we had great lakes unsalted. I did all of their stickers for the longest time. Right. So they, they're very, they got into a medium sized business, I would say. And, you know, they subbed out all, you know, a lot of their stuff. And, and so, um, you know, I just, to me, it was like, man, to give up those contracts and figure out the value of them and what it could be over however long, I, you know, it wasn't, it should have been worth it, but it wasn't worth it to me. Right. Like now I, I make my daughter, I think I have to go home tonight at like 11 o'clock and make my kid a, a t-shirt ready for Friday. Right. So my, my thousands of dollars are sitting around. Granted, I could have, I could have sold the business for, let's say, I don't care, 50,000 bucks, whatever it be. I could have bought five million t-shirts, but no, I gotta, I gotta make one. <laughs> so, um, you know, shame on me, but like, again, I was, I was plenty successful with that. You bring up a good example because, you know, we, we get questions all the time. Hey, I'm looking to open a similar business. Yep. Will you help me? We had a weird one the other day. Yeah. Sent us a message that basically said, Hey, I have all this inventory and I'm going to open that business. And we didn't really understand where it was going. And it turned out that they've had this idea for two years and they see that we're here. So now they're not going to open the business. Hmm. And I, I think when people, you know, I'm not going to call them entrepreneurs because they're really not look at starting their own business, they think, hey, this is financial freedom. This is I get to work when I want to work. And they don't really know what goes into running a successful business. Right. And I mean, you know, Marvin, how long does it take a week to run a successful business? I mean, I know my answer, Nick knows his, but, you know, we're going to defer to you. You're the professional here. <laughs> well, uh, it depends on the stage of business, you know, I've often said that, you know, for the first five years or seven years, however long it takes, uh, you're never paid what you're worth, you know, and then you get to a point in your business where you're paid really for what you're worth. You know, you, your business is matured, you got some volume going, you got customers, you know, you have those relationships like you talked about, and you're sort of paid what you're worth. And then your business really gets to cranking if you do the right things to grow and mature that business, maybe 10 years, 12 years down the road or whatever it is, maybe shorter, maybe longer, you get to a point where you're paid more than you're worth. Uh, and that's where 
the employees, you know, grouse about the, the, the boss that doesn't hardly work at all. And uh, he's getting paid boatloads of money and has the car and the extra house and the country and takes vacations and things like that because he's paying a lot more than the effort that he's putting into the business because the business is now systematized and it is working and he has those relationships and he has a brand. And so, you know, that is generally the entrepreneurial journey for the ideal of how you want to grow and build a business. You're, what you don't want to have happen is you don't do the right things and you end up being in the trenches for 15, 20 years, never being paid for what you're worth. Sure. And a lot of uh, businesses do that because the entrepreneur often can't get out of his own way, can't hire the right people, can't sell, can't manage his finances, you know, and he's his, worst, his own worst enemy. And uh, so it really depends on the circumstances and the situation. But the ideal situation is to get to that point where the business has taken on a life of its own and the business can go on without the entrepreneur because the right things have happened in the business that he doesn't have to be there every day. Sure. Uh, and that's one of the biggest fights my wife and I have. Um, I can't say one of the big. I always say that. It's, we just fight all the time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but not really. <laughs> say, you know, Kmart and Walmart, right? So like, so like my wife, my wife and your wife both hate Jeff Bezos just because he's this rich pompous whatever that shot a rocket up in space and i'm like it's his money i don't really care we talked about that but like you look at you look at kmart and walmart right both opened their first store in the first year right kmart got huge right they they grew so many and now like the last remaining kmart is closing by the end of this year yeah Yeah. michigan company last month's closing right and so this was and then Walmart, right? Like because of their business structure, the way they did it, like they're now just huge. And my wife's angry because these people get to live off. Of, and I was like, you could be the biggest, baddest, whatever. Like you still have that potential to fail and fall. Like, why are you mad? Because people are out there being successful. Like that's just shame on you for that. And yeah, granted, apparently don't ever tell your wife shame on you. Um, <laughs> but I, I will tell you is like, I, I understand that no matter what I do every single day, I could, I could be doing this podcast, say the wrong thing. My tenants could hear it. Something else could happen. Like everybody just says, Hey, let's just F Nick. Right. Like, boom. And I would just be done. Right. Like I, I, you can't, you can't sit here and, and do that type of a, a thing because, um, you know, even the big dogs fall at times. Right. I mean, you hear, I mean, Wall Street, right? How many how many times do do places go for you know foreclosed or, or bankrupt or you know it's just coaching? I got fired, right? Like you're you know you're I, I'm so, the best coach of the back twice. <laughs> say you know you actually had kids show up. <laughs> so, I did, right? But you know, so it's just that, that that is a huge fight. So like when you say that to me, it's just it's it's so true. Where you know you have to you have to keep focus on it. I mean understand where your business is going. So yeah, it's all about execution. You know, some people can execute, you know, your Walmart example and Kmart, you know, that type of situation, Sears, same type of situation, JC Penney, same type of situation. Circuit city versus Best Buy. Right. I mean, yeah, they, they just, um, you know, didn't execute well, hired the wrong people, you know, didn't have the right strategy. You know, it's all about, 
the ability to change with the times and keep up on it. And some companies are very good at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. I mean, we wouldn't be able to do this without David because I can't do technology. I mean, you can't do technology. You can't figure out time. Yeah, I got nothing. Like, dude, I'm. You just show up when I ask. Right. You. Like, hey, you got. All right. Yeah, I got you. Don't worry. If not, I'll, you know, I'll do it from home. Like, let me see how this works out. And half time I'm focused on other things. No. Um, I, uh, I think. I think I, I guess I need to figure out with you when you're going to sell, how do you get the maximum amount of money? And I think you, like you've touched on a little bit with like, Hey, make sure you keep your records and, and have your financials and do all that. But like, what's the best way to go about selling? If, if somebody's in it, what's the best way to go about selling a business? Well, I think the best thing, uh, someone that has a business is to go through the exercise of asking, you know, the question, would I buy my business today in the condition that it's in? Knowing what I know, would I pay what I would want for the business would, if I were the buyer? Yeah. And uh, I've asked that question a lot of times and I've often see people kind of look down at their shoes or on the desk and say, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't pay the amount of money that I want to sell the business. And so there's a big disconnect between what they, they would want to sell the business for and what they would want to buy that business for because they know the internal workings of that business. Sure. And there's that big delta between so you just got to bring the close that gap between having the right type of things happen within the business to create the value that you would actually pay for what that business would be sold for and what you want to sell the business for. Yeah. You can say to yourself, yeah, I'm going to sell the business for 500,000 or a million dollars, whatever the number is. And I would pay that amount of money for the business because I know the business will earn that money. I could borrow the money. I could make the loan payments. I could hire the right people. And I could grow the business because the market there is to grow the business. Uh, once you can answer that question honestly, then you're on the right track. And then you just, if, if there are certain gaps there, then you just focus on those gaps. And there are some other things that we don't have time to talk about here. <laughs> that buyers buyers really want to see in a business that that sellers don't have a clue they don't even think about those type of things because they're not aware of them they've never gone through an exit or never sold a business for so they don't know the type of questions that a buyer is going to be asking and so when they actually do ask those questions they have a blank stare and they say oh well, I'll have to get back to you on that. You know? And then they go try to figure out, well, what can I do to answer those questions? And sometimes you can, and sometimes you just have to say, well, I don't have that. Or one good, one thing is customer concentration. For example, you mentioned that you had the business you had doing their t-shirts and things that you had key customers. Well, if your key customer is Walmart and he has 90% of all the orders that you, the revenue that you generate comes from that one customer and you have a few other small customers, you, you will never be able to, you, it'll be very difficult if almost impossible to sell that business because if Walmart has a change in attitude and goes a different direction, you're out of business. 
and buyers don't want to take that risk. And so you may think that you're making a boatload of money, but your business is, and you may be making a boatload of money, but your business isn't saleable because you, you have only one customer or very few customers. So, um, you know, you mentioned that you got out of one poorly. Can you describe that? Um, yeah, I, I uh, early in my career, you know, I uh, opened up a, a retail uh, location. Uh, I had three of them at the time. And uh, I had acquired this new location that was a brand new strip center and kind of the end cap on the strip center. And I opened up uh, a location there. And I thought that this was going to be a home run. I just thought I had, I was because I'd had two other successful locations and I, I, I got to believing my own press clippings that I was smarter than I really was. And um, I ran that location in nine months. I was losing my shirt. I was sucking all the money out of the other two locations to keep this one open. And I ended up closing that location and, and walking away from it. And because uh, I did all the wrong things. I, I, I made decisions based on emotion and not on facts. Um, and uh, there were, when I look back on the decision to, to expand into that location, um, uh, it was all emotionally driven. It was the marquee, the, the brand new center. It was in a new part of town. There was a lot of traffic. It would, it would, the location would serve as a billboard. Uh, all those things were more ego-driven than they were actually uh, data-driven of the type of customers that would come in and the type of traffic that was there. Uh, it was all commute traffic. No one was slowing down. They were going 50 miles an hour in front of the location. They weren't slowing down to stop and shop. And um, so lesson learned, a painful lesson learned, cost me a lot of money. Sure. It just about sucked me under. And because of that, uh, when I exited the business, because uh, it was after that I decided to, to exit, I had very little profitability and had a very bad exit. So, but lesson learned. Yes. And those are sometimes the best. Lick lessons. my wounds and move on to the next thing. Yeah. I say, at least it didn't, you know, financially, I mean, it, it hit you a little bit, but you learned and then you become successful. So, so I we're getting close. I, 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 I swore I'd never go through that again. So, we're getting close to wrapping up, but we kind of want to know, Marvin, what was your most successful close? Well, it was my last uh, exit that I had is, you know, I, I bought a company that was uh, struggling. Uh, it was a national company, had uh, hundreds of locations around the country. And um, uh, I came in and I was able to turn that location, turn the company around, uh, reposition it. Uh, took me five, you know, five to seven years to do that. Uh, but uh, I positioned it and was able to, you know, exit uh, successfully and profitably. Uh, I was able to take something that was losing money uh, and turn it around to where I was making money. And uh, it became uh, an acquisition to a strategic buyer that was in the same industry. I was in the logistics business, as I said, it was in the same industry. And this was a, uh, an add-on to the type of business that they were doing that expanded their uh, reach and their footprint and what they were doing. And it was attractive to them. And um, I was able to, you know, to exit uh, 
you know, profitably and, and walk away from it uh, successfully. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't gone through the learning curve, um, you know, and had my belly flops uh, along the way, because those are those painful experiences you have do, you know, it's the school of hard knocks. Right. Uh, and what I, and, uh, you know, what I learned is that you have to think about the exit. I was thinking about the exit way in advance of uh, ever getting to the, that last lap. I, I knew the last lap was coming and I knew what I, I needed to do in that last lap to be able to finish strong and to hit the finish line uh, appropriately at the right time. I, I, I had thought about that, I had planned about it and I had the, every, a lot of the things teed up. I didn't have as much teed up as I thought I that I, I thought I knew more than I knew, and that's that's what the danger is, uh, because I hadn't been through that size of exit before. I thought I knew a lot more than I did, and uh, but sure. it still worked out okay. Good, I say that that's always a positive, right? To yeah. rebound, rebound back, Marvin. Uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, real quick, I want to give you a couple seconds to to let you tell everybody a little bit about. Uh, where they can find you. Um, yeah, plug you, everything. You mentioned a book. I mean, just sell away. No, I think mm -hmm. uh, I have this podcast called Business Exit Stories, uh, where I interview the deal makers that make uh, deals happen, you know, help entrepreneurs exit their business. And they share stories on the podcast. So the good stories, the bad stories, and why they're good and why they're bad. And and uh, each story lasts, you know, 10 minutes or so, 12 minutes. And, uh, and you know, I am writing this book. And, uh, but probably the best thing to do is for anyone that has a business, whether they're just starting a business or they're midway and they're working hard to grow it or they're getting toward the, the exit, you know, they'll be selling in a few years. I have this report that I put together uh, that talks about how you can double the price of your exit, the amount of money that you put in your pocket when you exit your business. It's a free report. Just go to business exit stories um, forward slash report two, uh, and uh, you can go and it, you can download that report. So that's just uh, the name of the podcast is businessexitstories.com forward slash report to get the report, but it's report two. And uh, it's a quick read. It's about uh, a 10 minute read, maybe 15 minute read, and it'll give you some real insights on what you can do today uh, to eventually double the amount of money you're going to get and be able to put in your pocket when you sell. Yeah. Well worth reading. Hey, uh, Essex, I know there's a lot of things I do unsuccessfully because of the way I was mentored that I, I could change right now if I had to go sell my business. Um, Marvin, anything else that you're you're you want to tell us? Um, things we should look out for. Um, let's say, well, I think I think you I, I think you should pull up stakes and move to California. That's Dude, what I think I'm, you should do. If you you're can, ready for saying, hey, Marvin, are you you, a, you, you 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 would fit in in California. Do you like money? <laughs> does does a hundred dollars motivate you? Motivates me sometimes. Yeah, at this right, point so in my life, money is a lot less important than it used to be. All right, so I have $100 right now cash. If you can convince my wife 
to let me just move to California with her and the kid. I will I will personally write you a check and, and we can frame it. I'll even write you two, one to frame and one to keep. So it's technically 200 bucks if you ever have to break it for emergencies. I've never offered 200 bucks to anybody. You can convince my wife that we go to California. I'm all about this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say right uh, now. Uh, let me tell you, I love California. I've been here a long time, but in the last few years, it's getting really challenging to live here. For a lot yeah. of different reasons but uh sure. you know i lived not too far from these wildfires that were going on that was headed towards lake tahoe i only live an hour from lake tahoe and uh it was pretty scary you know to think that that whole community could go up and smoke because that fire was out of control and and they threw everything they could to stop that fire before it got to south lake tahoe good for you i uh so well, we're going to keep in touch we should uh, in two years, I'm headed to Reno because next year's Las Vegas. And so I'm when I fly into Reno, I can either take a, a really awesome uh, taxi or uh, limo to Lake Tahoe, or I walk out the crap doors and I and I go to the casino. It, it blows my mind because like like if you've been to uh, you've been to the the airport, right? This is like Lake Tahoe, and it looks beautiful. And then you have like these like scrubby doors in the other part of, it, and you're just like. I wonder if Lake Tahoe just looks so much better. <laughs> so um, I'm going to come visit you in, in like two years because that's where I'm going to be right. in the area. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, you know, you say you want to go to California, but where you really want to move is Mexico. That's a factual statement. Yeah. Just I'll, say, dude, I'll give anybody 500 bucks for Mexico, 200 bucks for California, 500 bucks for Mexico. Uh, there you go. Say so we've I've raised my prices even more. Like I used to start like 10 bucks, right? So uh, can't. Can't thank you enough, Marvin, for joining us. All right. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, you guys are fun to talk to, be around. So uh, I've, I've really enjoyed this. So thanks for inviting me. We appreciate that a lot. Um, Nick's going to go with his normal. We're going to talk about our beers here real quick. Right? Yeah. Say, uh, as always, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your family. Um, go like Marvin's podcast. Listen to him. Yeah, of course. Um, buy his book when it comes out. Um, if he needs publishing, I know people for some reason. I know everybody. I uh, say so we are Bucks and Brews. We have our own glasses. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Founders thank you for that. Solid Gold uh, and Founders Dirty Bastard for some fantastic beers this evening. I, I'm going to thank New Holland for the Echabod, which is good. Echabod's um, always good beer. Atwater. The Actually really enjoyed that. Spice latte. Like, I was going to give you so much crap when you said pumpkin spice latte. I was like, you're uh, Starbucks at, right? I tried it. I was like, it's such a good beer. And Pigeon Hills Donut Stop Believing because I love Journey. Because we love Journey all day. So, uh, Marvin, we're going to we're gonna send you some emails. Uh, we're going to get some type of way to send you a magnet. Um, yep. we're still a small company, but we, uh, we, we like to support every company starts small. We support our, we, we, we support our people who like to support us and yep. be on the podcast. So we'll, uh, I'll make sure that you get a magnet or a sticker or something. Um, we'll reach out to, to cool. you via, via email. Thank you again so Thank much. So Have much. a great night. Hey, this has been fun. Appreciate Good. it.